I'm your inner dream monologue and you're fast asleep. So I'll be quick. Great job using the Colgate Optic White Overnight Teeth Whitening Pen before bed. When used as directed, it gives you a visibly whiter smile in just seven days. So while I fly and talk to animals, you're removing teeth stains with ease. Sweet dreams. And when you wake up, keep on living life to the brightest. Colgate Optic White. Find it at all major retailers. This episode is brought to you by Squarespace. Squarespace recently launched the latest version of their platform, Squarespace 7, which has a completely redesigned interface, integrations with Getty Images and Google Apps, 15 new templates, and an incredible feature called Cover Pages. Try the new Squarespace with a free trial at squarespace.com and enter offer code RIOT at checkout to get 10% off. Squarespace. Start here. Go anywhere. This is the Book Riot Podcast, a weekly news and talk show about what's new, cool, and worth talking about in the world of books and reading. This is episode 110, recording on Thursday, June 11th. I'm Jeff O'Neill. I'm here with Amanda Nelson. We're coming to you from bookriot.com. Happy June. Indeed. Welcome back to the show, Amanda. Thank you. Um, it's summertime. Uh, <laughs> it's 90-some-odd it's, it's degrees, I'm sure, in Richmond. Yeah, 91. It, it's going to be 90 degrees here in New York City uh, today. And it feels like, you know, do you have central air? Yeah. Yeah, see, I don't. I have window units, so but you can hear them. They're super loud when you're recording, so I have to turn them off. Oh, no. So this is a process of me getting in increasingly uh, sweaty. Uh, oh, well. And, and being uncomfortable. But thanks you know for what? that mental image. <laughs> it's more like a sport that way. That's how I'm thinking about it. You know, I got to hydrate uh, to kind of avoid the cramping. Um, so anyway, people down here don't go without central air. That's not yeah, a thing we do. <laughs> well, we have the older, these big old apartment buildings, uh, mm-hmm. and these, uh, these giant, these air, these window units that are the biggest ones I've ever seen. They, they're the size of like one of those like mini refrigerators in an office. <laughs> they're just enormous, and they're so loud. Yeah, it's not something I saw back in the Midwest. Like they only make them big this big for like old buildings in big cities, but. Anyway, I hope everyone's having a good summer and getting off to some good uh, summer reading. Uh, we did the recommendation request show, I guess it was a few weeks ago. That was the last time Amanda was on the show. And I think last time, did we mention, I can't remember if I mentioned from, oh no, you were on the show for the BEA wrap-up and we mentioned that you're going to have your own, host your own Book yes. Riot uh, hosted show. You're going to host your own hosting situation. <laughs> um, a recommendation show in the fall starting in September. And we don't have a name for it yet, do we? We don't. So if I'm anyone noodling. has a great name. That we can steal. I prefer well, hip hop puns. Just throwing that. Oh, hip hop puns. That will that will um, that will bounce you to the top of the list if you have a good <laughs> hip hop pun. Um, but Amanda's can be biweekly with some maybe rotating guests, maybe regular guests. But Amanda and somebody else who knows books um, fielding recommendation requests, kind of like our our semi annual show, but you know biweekly and sometimes you know maybe themes, maybe not. Just kind of see how it goes. But so first of all, we need your help with maybe coming up with an idea. Even if it's a bad idea, sometimes bad ideas lead to good ideas. And also, if you want to start filing recommendation requests, you can email them here at podcastatbookriot.com. Eventually that show, whatever the title is, will have its own email address. But in summertime and people start looking for things to read and, uh, you know, you have friends and families that have birthdays in the fall or even come up mm-hmm. between now Back and then. School. We can We're going to start to build up a back backlist. Um, so we have lots of interesting recommendation requests t- uh, to do. So get ready for that starting in September, every other week, uh, t- name to be determined. It took <laughs> us a while to do the All the Books podcast name, so I'm just waiting for lightning to strike one of yeah. us, metaphorically. <laughs> uh, anyway, let's do our first sponsor, Scribd. Okay. Scribd is, you know, Scribd is like, I, I'm trying to think of how you, how you describe this. It's like, it's like an all-you-can-eat buffet of reading stuff. That's really what it is, because you've got comics, and you've got audiobooks, and you've got ebooks. You've got more than, let's see, what's the number up to now? Well, more than 30,000 audiobooks, more than 180,000, I'm sorry, no, half a million ebooks and audiobooks combined, also a bunch of comics. With this subscription, you get access to more than, you know, all those books and some of the biggest new releases. I think that's the other thing people are having a hard time. I'm having people being me, having my hard time wrapping my head around. <laughs> my experience around. is universal. Yeah. Speaking of anecdata, which is now the truth, um, <laughs> that there are new releases on script. Like that's a, like things that came out this week, last week, recently. Um, you don't have to wait necessarily for all the things you're interested in reading to come out. You, we're so acclimated, I think, to sort of the Netflix model, right? Mm-hmm. Where for movies, it's like a couple of years. Sometimes TV shows, it's a little bit, TV shows a little bit faster. But with script like audiobooks, especially there's a bunch of Random House audiobooks here. 
that are available. They, they just came out. Like Shinsky's been doing the Missoula book, and it's available right now. Um, so they've got hundreds of collections curated by their team of editors. So if you just don't want to go a, a, a wandering and a searching on your own, there's some collections that can get you started, get you hooks into things. And as you read or listen, they'll tailor recommendations based on the books you've loved or, or unfortunately, you know, sometimes it happens you don't love everything. Um, go to scribcom slash book riot right now, and they'll set you up with a free month to get started. That's 30 days of unlimited reading and listening, and you'll be sporting Book Riot, so that's a win-win. That's Scribd, S-C-R-I-B-D dot com slash book riot. Thanks so much to Scribs for sponsoring the show uh, on an ongoing basis. I think it's one of those, we get tweets all the time now from people yes, like, oh my gosh, yes. <laughs> I love Scribd. I think if you'll try it, uh, you, you'll be into it. As you know, summer, you're traveling, throw your iPad, your Samsung Galaxy S4, whatever device in your bag, and you can try something out by the pool, listen to audiobooks while you're traveling, um, really good situation there. Okay. Let's, let's start out with, I don't know. I like to following the, do you find this publishing sales stuff interesting? I know Shinsky and I like it, but do you find this interesting? Like the numbers of sales and all this stuff? Uh, the overall number isn't particularly interesting to me, but like the, the category breakdown, I yeah. think it's really fascinating. Okay. So I, I like, so the, the top line story here is a publisher's weekly, um, industry book industry sales rose 4.6% in 2014 which is really good for a mature industry especially one yeah. that the narrative has been that's beaten down and you know on the mat and being disrupted by disrupting disruptors um, <laughs> stop but but, but um, you know the for, that outpaces inflation that's for sure because uh, mm-hmm. inflation is, remains relatively actually extremely low um, it's uh, a bigger percentage than your mortgage rate might be so that's uh, actually kind of something so you like some of the segments so what are this what are the sort of uh, smaller numbers well the the two that really caught my eye were the the fastest growing category was children's and ya which the sales there were up 20 percent 29 percent which is insanity insane that's how is that what what i can't even think of like a big title well 2014 it was fault in our stars that's what it was the movie i mean uh on the show a while back we did we did the guessing game from um Publishers Weekly also had the the best selling books of 2014, and it was like crazy how many. Why? I mean, it was you got Divergent and you know yeah. the the Hunger Games stuff since the movies are still coming out, but the big ones were like you know multiple millions in sales for multiple versions of the Fault in Our Stars and the Frozen stuff. I guess would also yeah, count the Frozen, in the children's yeah, young the adult. Frozen. Yeah, and there the are long multiple tale iterations. Of Frozen, um, which speaking of, just as an aside. I, the frozen merchandising train rolls on. It is not slowing down. Like if you go into Target now, you can find a frozen branded almost anything. Like I think a frozen a frozen uh, blender is coming. Like it's just what? every single thing <laughs> you could get in frozen. Anyway, that's neither here nor there. Yeah, so that was the one that I had flagged as well. Um, four point four billion dollars in sales. Oh. Units <laughs> increased three thirteen. We're in the wrong business, Jeff. <laughs> Are we? I mean, we can write about YA. We just sell. We should them. apparently be writing YA. Well, that's true. I guess that's a really good. That's a really good point. Um, <laughs> so the units sales increased thirteen point five percent, and sales rose twenty one percent. So that means prices went up a little bit too. Mm-hmm. There's something interesting there. Adult fiction fell twenty percent for the year. Two percent. What I say. Twenty. Oh yeah, there's a decimal point in there. That makes a right. bit of a difference. <laughs> uh, it fell two percent in the year, and nonfiction dropped one point one percent. After a slight, this is the other one that I thought was interesting. After a slight decline last year, total ebook sales increased 3.8% to an estimated $3.37 billion. Um, Though unit sales only rose 0.2%. So after the the Amazon agency pricing situation, ebook prices have gone up uh, a little bit as well. Let's see. That does not include sales with format through subscription services. Um, and I thought it was interesting too. The American Associated Publishers estimate that sales of ebooks through subscription channel were over 20 million, based on the reports from about nice. 20 publishers. So it's still a very, very small percentage of overall ebook sales, like less than one percent. Um, but it's a you know that's an eight that's an eight digit figure. Um, and there's all, but they're, they're like split that between the however many subscription services there yeah, are, which aren't that many. There aren't that many. Yeah. So uh, I guess. Oyster and Scrib being the big ones. Mm-hmm. There's a couple of other. Well, I guess Amazon has its own. Um, you know, Kindle Unlimited. Downloadable, oh, yeah, uh, downloadable audio sales grew 26.8% in the year. Holla. 
and the sales description audio rose twenty six point eight percent. So the exact so that makes me that suggests yeah. <laughs> the pricing is exactly the same on audiobooks. Uh-huh. Um, the they also estimate that thirty eight excuse me three point eight eight million audiobooks were sold through subscription services, um, while two point four seven million ebooks were sold through the channel. Very interesting. Um, I, I don't know if there's any there's any sort of larger things to take away from it, but if you're in the YA business or the audiobook business, you're riding high right now. Yeah. And, and that seems to bear out from what we see on the site, right? I oh, mean, totally. Yeah, yeah. Like especially the about. audiobook thing. Yeah, audiobook. Um, and, you know, there is some weird selection bias here because we're in an audio format that people listen to largely on their mobile devices, which also <laughs> makes them more likely to listen to audiobooks, but... Um, yeah, that, that's what we're seeing. And, you know, like kind of like you said, if the BA show, this 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 is what BA felt like, this report to me. Yeah. Like a, up a little bit <laughs> on the whole. Um, and also, but also lots the adult of fiction just sort yeah. of meh. Didn't have a big t- – it was Goldfinch 2014. No, that was the end of 2013, wasn't it? Wasn't I'm it? with dates. I don't remember any big like big. There wasn't a big adult year. title last year. Um, it'll be interesting this year with Ghosts at a Watchman. Yeah. And the, and the, the girl on the James. train has sold two million copies or something like that, the fastest mm-hmm. selling adult fiction debut of all time. Yep. So it will be interesting to see if... Um, and the new E.L. James. Does that go... I guess that goes into adult fiction. That They don't break it out by genre other than that, so that will go into adult fiction too. So yeah, I would expect the 2015 numbers to be way, way up there. Okay, so enough stats. Uh, let's get into tech weird stuff. Do okay. You want to tell me about Book Kindy? Is that how you say it? I don't book, know. I think book it's indie? Book Indie, book whatever. Book okay, so this is an app that, well, it's not really an app, whatever. It's, it's a, a Chrome browser extension. Yeah, woohoo. That, yeah, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> that you install. Um, that So when you search for a book on Amazon, it will show you along the Amazon along with the Amazon price, the extension inserts a box that shows you the cheapest price of the book from an independent bookstore and how far that store is from wherever you are. So it's kind of like the reverse... Reverse, show, thing. reverse showrooming, right? Yeah, exactly. So can you, you order can, it right in the bar? You've played with it. I haven't. I well, no, I tried to play with it. This is, oh. Like I, I installed it, and it doesn't work. I don't know if I oh. needed to restart my browser or restart mm. my computer, or whatever. But like, I there was nothing about my Amazon experience was any different. There was no extra information. Um, but this is also a UK thing. Like the, oh. the articles from the Guardian. And so I'm wondering if it's a UK only. Right. But, the, the like extension installation page didn't say that, so hmm. Hmm, oh, I don't that's know. interesting. Yeah, um, it gets its information from online indie retailer Hive, so that also looks like it's a UK thing, Hive.co.uk. So it might just be mm-hmm. there's no information that can be pulled for you um, in the good old US of A. Yeah. Um, it's it's interesting too because first of all you got the showrooming the ethics of showrooming and reverse showrooming I kind of think like I don't know what you think but if you feel like showrooming in an independent bookstore is wrong then also isn't this just as quote unquote wrong I don't know there's that to think about but also attests to the fact that how good Amazon's browsing experience is like you can find what you're looking for you get all the information there mm-hmm. and to be honest the indie bound website is not that great no it's not even if you want to buy independent books online. It's not a great it's not a great experience, at least for Americans. Um, so you can kind of see like piggybacking off Amazon's experience would make a lot of sense. Um, but I, the world has never been changed by a browser extension. But you know, <laughs> if like I guess if who is this for? That's what I who do you think this is for? Uh, the uh, guilty people. people the guilty. Feel, yeah, people who feel badly about shopping at Amazon but do it anyway, which right, I feel like yes. is a large amount yeah. of readers. Um, who shop at Amazon and feel bad. Or maybe that's just my, like, exposure bias, like people mm. that I talk to in the book world who are all in the book world and get all of their books from Amazon very quietly because they don't want to hear about, like, the blowback, but feel bad about it. Right, because, like, the real zealots, the real anti-Amazon zealots don't even go to Amazon.com. Right. So they're not they're not going to use this. So this might be the people who are, whose conscience is, is split in twain <laughs> um, <laughs> about whether or not they should use Amazon or not. And I, I guess it makes, you know... This is one of those things that's not going to catch on, but you can do it if you want to. And really attest, I think, to the – to. I don't know. I feel like we've come to a weird moment with Amazon, and tell me if I'm wrong about this, where the worst of the anti-Amazon vitriol seems to be over. Do you, are you getting that sense? Yeah. it's just, Well, it's just not the, like, thing of the moment. Yeah. And why is that, do you think? No idea. 
Hmm. I'm just happy for it. Yeah, I am too. Maybe <laughs> it's maybe it's that independent bookstores aren't are like growing slightly. You know, yeah, they're, they're yeah, the numbers are up. Um, of for independent bookstores, at least in the U.S. Yeah, and, the U.K. And, I should say is still having trouble. So maybe it's not a surprise that this has sprung up over there. This yeah. uh, extension. And like every time a publisher gets their way in a like a big fight, yeah. a big publicized fight with Amazon, it's like okay, well they're not as like the big scary giant, right? That right. we imagine them to be, right? Um, but I think it is worth noting that like the the author of this article in the Guardian road tested the Chrome extension, and there was just no price competition. Like the oh. the book he looked up. Um, using the app was twice the price at the independent bookshop. I was actually was wondering about that. I was like, do you really like, want to throw it in such stark relief? How yeah, no, like it's good. Like, I, I don't understand how that could possibly be beneficial to an indie bookstore to compare <laughs> the prices. I mean, I've worked in an independent bookstore and you just sell the books for the price it's on the jacket. Yeah, right. Yeah, and, and it's printed on there in most cases. I, I guess if I were this book indie extension, I might leave the price off the browser extension, just have like a buy button. Like yeah. if you want to buy it, just shoot them over there. Don't let someone balk at the, you know, the, the, the serious price. Difference. And I'm not even one of those people that suggest that, you know, independent bookstores or whatever is too expensive. Like I understand the pricing of physical right. books and physical bookstores. Like there's a lot more upkeep. They don't have the same volume, blah, blah, blah. But that doesn't mean that there's not an effect of like, yo, geez, it's nine dollars cheaper. Yeah, <laughs> to buy through Amazon. Like the difference between what four pounds and eight pounds. Yeah, is what the test was, but that's just I, even like my guilt. I wouldn't. I could not generate enough guilt to pay twice as much for a book right. if it were staring at me in the face. Yeah, um, and kind of where I've landed too is. Um, I do mostly audiobooks through Audible, to be honest, which is an Amazon company. But mm-hmm. I don't. There's not sort of an independent bookstore equivalent of like going and buying your digital books. But you know, I kind of feel like you know, if the big publishers are making deals at Amazon, then am I supposed to know better than they do about what's good for publishing? Doesn't make any sense to me. I guess like if they're going to make deals with Amazon, yeah. then I'm supposed to like know better than them how to keep books alive. I don't know. That feels weird. Now, independent bookstores, that's a different situation. If you have a good local independent bookstore that you want to see live, you got to buy books there. That's just the way it works. Yeah. Um, but not everyone has a good local local independent bookstore. Not everyone cares. Also, <laughs> completely, you're right not to care about that. Uh, anyway, that, I, wish, I wish the independent bookstore situation online was better. That's another takeaway from this, That, but we're not going to get Like the shopping that. experience? Yeah, like IndieBound oh, just yeah. was a little more interesting. Like maybe like if the American Booksellers Association actually pulled data and information and content from bookstores and like, you know, if they had some videos and recs and I don't know. Like if you took some of the stuff the LitHub does, mm-hmm. you know, like because they really want to, they, they really are uh, aligned with independent bookstores. Yeah, they're beating the drum, yeah. Put that on the actual store. Like the lists and videos and shelf talkers and I don't know. I feel like you could do something if you really cared. But maybe maybe they don't care. I mean, maybe it's such a small percent of their business. Like even if we doubled this from one percent to two percent, it's not going to make any difference. Does IndieBound have an app? I don't know the answer to that. Which I actually telling, would be surprised. Right? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that yeah, I don't yeah. even know if they have an app. Like mm-hmm. that's yeah. Um, speaking of publishing, trying things. Uh, <laughs> let's see. I guess it, I guess this is just. As part of the long, or now, we're now in our third or fourth year of really having a discussion online about women in publishing and books. And this is, I think, largely precipitated by the the starkness of the Vita statistics, which is not about the number of books published, we should say, before we get mm-hmm. into the next story. It's about the coverage of books written by women in media and who is covering them, whether they're men or women, and now um, people, women of color especially. So Camila Shamsi wrote, this is a piece that appeared in The Bookseller, which is a big UK publishing industry rag. Um, and she is, I don't actually know who she is. It doesn't give <laughs> her a, a good bio. Yeah, there's no um, But she makes the claim that what if we tried a year of publishing only women? Like, we've got this problem where there's systemic bias against women in publishing and all the rest of the universe, but since publishing is our little corner of that universe, let's, what, what could we think about? And her argument is, you know, it says on the tin, all new, I'm reading directly now, all new titles published in the year should be written by women. I've been looking at literary fiction publishing here, but I'm sure other groups within fiction, even nonfiction publishing, could gain from signing up too. The knock-on effect of year of publishing will be evident in the review pages and blogs and bookshop windows and front of store displays and literature festival lineups and prize submissions. So, I mean, that makes sense. If there were only 
women published in a year, well, you would your Vita stats, at least about <laughs> the women, books being covered, would change. Yeah, uh, I don't think prize sub- well, prize submissions for annual. Yeah, okay, fine, but like literature festival lineups, I don't think would be different. I don't think bookstore displays would be that different. Like, I think she thinks this would be a lot more yeah. of a big deal than it would be. Well, bookstore displays, if if every publisher published only women, I mean, pub- bookstores largely sell front list, right? So wouldn't it be different in the windows? I don't know. Like, I was just, I was in, bar- the, okay, anecdata again. Yeah, that's truth, fine. But that, I was this just is in our Barnes pod. You, have you listened? You're on the show. I know. You know what's going on. <laughs> uh, so I like to wander through Barnes & Noble, like, once or twice a quarter and just, like, see what the what is. And a large majority of the tables in mm. Barnes & Noble are, like, great summer reads or reads that every high school student needs or whatever. Like Lots of backlist student. is what you're saying. And it's all backlist, yeah. And, like, so the front, um, the front of the store, those big new release shelves, those would obviously be all women. Mm-hmm. But I actually counted the gender parity on, the, the like, the backlist tables, and it's overwhelmingly men, like, mm. overwhelmingly, disgustingly men. And I don't, that would not be affected by this Right, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, we, you know, one thing we don't know, uh, well, maybe some people do, but I don't, and, and my, I mean we, I mean you, me, and Shinsky, I think, um, is we, we just talked about industry sales. Like, what percentage of industry sales are backlist? Mm, like, if you question. look, I mean, if you look at our readership, for example, most people are reading backlist. You know, you look at the Barnes & Noble, it's the way they organize their tables, at least, is somewhat representative of the actual book buying, you know, uh, breakdown, then it's largely backlist. And some of it is just there's so many more titles. But people are buying Hemingway and Fitzgerald and Zora Neale Hurston, you know, every year, every year, every year, every year. You know, how, how many – we talk about the 600,000 copies of To Kill a Mockingbird yeah. every year, which makes it the 10th best-selling adult fiction title basically every year. Um, so you're I right. I think this is just sort of placing the responsibility in a weird – Yeah. Like do publishers publish less or fewer women than men? I don't feel like that's – True. I don't that, have data for that, though. Right. I, that comes up every time the Vita Lit thing comes out because, you know, some people are like, well, what if blah, 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 yeah, not public. <laughs> My sense, at least, is, and maybe we could do some of study of our own. Maybe we have a liberty over at the All the Books podcast, start collecting some data Ooh. of the, you know, of the titles. Because she lists, you know, 20 titles every week in the show notes. Yeah. Like, and just take a look and see, like. Again, we're not being uh, exhaustive, but, you know, liberty is as good of a filter as you're going to find for uh, omnivore, <laughs> omnivorous reading. Like, what is the breakdown? Is it – I wouldn't even know how to guess. My feeling like is it's more like 50-50 than people think. What do you think? Yeah. No, I, I – yeah. I mean, I don't – I spend a lot of time in Edelweiss scrolling yeah. through publisher catalogs, and I feel like it's 50-50, but, but men get – reviewed more obviously yes. and they get awarded more and they get on panels more and stuff like that so i feel like responsibility should be more on the people who review and right. set up panels and give out yeah. prizes and maybe less on publishers who i don't really think are doing like a bad job here about this yeah i mean um, i think with i think now books by people of color i mean like that's yeah, a different situation bad job, bad job publishing <laughs> um but when it comes to women my sense at least and i I wouldn't like to be proven wrong. I'd like to be proven right or wrong by statistics. I guess that's what I like. If I'd anybody like has say. information, yeah, or <laughs> maybe we'll, or, if, or a better uh, research methodology for taking a look at how that might work. So, yeah, this feels like this feels like to me the year. I mean, if someone publisher want to do this, I mean, that's up to you. I don't think it would be. Can you do stuff like discriminate based on gender and stuff like this? I don't know what the law is. Exactly. I don't know. I think it would need to be uh, to be effective. This would have to be like the big five. Yeah. Like they would right. all need to do it. And yeah, they would. Have, or I guess the PRH decided to do it, which they never, I mean, this would never, ever oh, happen. No, 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 no. Never, um, ever. You know, and again, we've said this on the show before that the systemic um, bias against women and people of color in publishing, there's no, there's no, uh, smoking gun. It's just, everyone is a little crispy. You know, it's like mm-hmm. all of our faults. Yeah. Um, and well, that's how systemic. Yeah. Stuff right. Works. So I mean, like, so I think it's 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 unfortunately, well, unfortunately or unfortunately, the solution is grinding out little by little, having people pay attention to their habits. Yeah. And maybe getting someone to read this, they're like, oh, let's look. Maybe it'll inspire us to look at our numbers and find out what the truth about it is. And maybe it's actually more like sixty-five, thirty-five. I, I don't know the answer. Um, it could be that also the kinds of books we look at give us a certain kind of bias. Like maybe throw all the nonfiction in and all the business books. Business oh, books. business be, books are tough, yeah. Because I've been reading a bunch of business books and boy, is it hard to find women and then women of color is like, is super, you can be done, but you've read the one. Yeah, <laughs> right? yeah. Um, very difficult. So there's a lot to learn from this. I think, I think this is someone looking for a silver bullet 
Mm-hmm. She's like, the knock-on effects would be the windows and literary festivals. And I, I don't want to pour too much cold water, but I think you're right. I think one year of just doing this is not going to work. This is going to be a, you know, it's going to take the rest of our lives. Unfortunately. And, yeah. Unfortunately. <laughs> um, but we, I, let's not go looking for magic, magical thinking uh, here. Uh, but interesting thought experiment, to be sure. Yeah. Um, let's see. Oh, man. I guess we got to do this next. Okay. And then we'll it's do our so next bad. one. This. So, it's so bad. Why don't you, do you want to take this all right, one? All right, all right, all right, all right. Yeah, all right. So right. a Connecticut uh, AP English teacher was fired um, after teaching for 20 years, I think, um, mm-hmm. because he read an Allen Ginsberg poem to his AP English class, um, and the poem was Please Master, which is a very graphic um sexual poem doesn't get much more graphic no it's so graphic <laughs> it is so graphic so graphic you can hear both of us clinching our teeth and yeah like, like <laughs> oh like when i read it i just kind of like oh this yeah. is so porny um but it was requested one of yes. his students requested that he read it so he did and then two other students complained about it and then the teacher was put in uh was suspended and eventually um Agreed to resign, so I don't know. Oh, is that what was agreed to? Yeah, resign? I don't. Yeah, I don't. He wasn't like yeah. quote unquote fired, but he was under investigation. And then this the easy way or the hard way resignation. Yeah. It sounds yeah. like to me. I, I think now I don't know if he should have been fired, but yeah. what, if we're we talk a lot about books that get banned and shouldn't be banned, and we've also sort of I think talked around the idea that there is there is some sort of line out there, and I think this one's over it. This, this is one. it. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> I mean. Not that it's it should be outlawed or anything like this, but especially what we know about, I mean, students and teachers and power and mm-hmm. sex. Yeah. This one is t- this one's tough for me to say anything other than no, don't. <laughs> I mean, it just seems like a like an example of bad judgment. And I agree. I don't think he should have been fired. He's been teaching for twenty years, and right. it seems like he's very popular. Like students yeah. and parents all came out. To support him after mm-hmm. this, after he was suspended, um, so it seems just like one instance of a, like a poor decision. Yeah, um, and but it was a poor decision. Oh, very. I mean, the, <laughs> if you Google "please master Allen Ginsberg," full texts are available online. Yeah. Do not say we didn't warn you. Um, Ginsburg can be very, let's call it corporeal, and mm-hmm. this is extremely corporeal. Um, I don't know if that, that students. I mean, I guess they were talking about sexuality and literature in class, and that's a student asked him to do it. They you were know, talking about gratuitous language. Oh, gratuitous language. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. I, there's a lot. I guess you can talk about gratuitous language without going this far. You know. Yeah, I, totally. I, I'm not. I'm not sure. Um, and even like just the, the like the mental image of a teacher reading that out loud oh. to students is just hor- like it's horrifying uh, yeah. to me. And it's not because. It's not because like. It's it's a sexual poem. I mean, that's part of it. But it's just like this is, it's like you were saying about the power thing. Like this is a grown up. Yes. Saying these things to kids, and it just freaks me out. And I know that they're seniors. They were seventeen and eighteen. They were you know on their way to college, but they're not in college yet, right. and they're still in high school. Well, even just, in college, like I've taught how before, and mm-hmm. there are passages of how that. And again, I'm by nature a prude when it comes to public discourse about this kind of thing. So I, I, you know, I, I know some other people are more comfortable. But I was like, you know, there are there are young men and young women in this class, and we're talking about, you know, beat mm-hmm. poetry that has a lot of graphic stuff in it. Now, how, for example, that's a part of it, which is you know different than Please Master, which is explicitly about one particular relationship and one particular encounter. Mm-hmm. So it's like the line. There, are, I don't think there are bright lines, but this is a judgment call, I think, if this teacher, even himself, I think, if he had it to do over again, even regardless of the outcome, mm-hmm. maybe if he had a moment to think about it longer. Also interesting that the students brought the complaint. Yeah, rather and the Rather than request. sort of teachers, they request and the complaint, rather than sort of parents hearing something about a book they haven't read. <laughs> I wonder if it had been like, if he had assigned them to read it on their own, if parents mm. would have then complained, because then they would have you know, maybe like seen it in the yeah. house or whatever. Um, but yeah. since it was read in the classroom. Yeah. Cause I'm kind of imagining the scene. It doesn't sound like it was a sign. So maybe a student brought it in or, or he, he picked it up and read it in the moment. Yeah. And still, I mean, if I was 17, this would have made me horribly uncomfortable. Horribly, especially, yeah. well, yeah, especially, uh, if like from a female student and a male, although like I'm trying to think of an equivalent and I can't really like, if it's, if a teacher had read, Anais Nin mm. to a class like I, I, that would have been horrifying you know like yeah it's just I don't know I don't want somebody in power over a 
a kid, right. like just it just makes me really uncomfortable. Yeah, I, I think, <laughs> I think, I think that's I don't know. I mean, certainly, I mean, we've talked about this before on the show. Like, they're you know they've gone through puberty. They're sexual beings at this point, and mm-hmm. it's not taboo to talk about sex. But I, I there's something about this where it it's so graphic, and they're so subject to the teacher making a decision about what they can hear. Yeah. That it just feels very difficult for me to get to get my hands around. Like I, I linked to it in Critical Link is like, I'm not sure where the line is, but I think this is <laughs> this is over. Yeah, it. this is de- this yeah. is definitely it's over definitely it. So we talk over. a lot about, you know, bad job teachers and bad or bad job students and they shouldn't have come down on this person for this. I think maybe it's too bad he resigned. But mm-hmm. I can certainly understand the feeling of the student or the parent um who saw this and was like, boy I'm not so sure we we want this in our in our classrooms. Um, and it's so weird to like constantly be defending teachers' decisions to assign certain pieces of literature yes. to parents who complain. And to in this instance, be like, eh, maybe not. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and I do, I do, I do, I am glad. I have to say that the students who were uncomfortable said they were uncomfortable. Yeah. Often in these situations, they. I mean, I would have been uncomfortable at 17, and I probably wouldn't have said anything. I can't imagine myself going to the assistant principal or whatever, and saying you know, this poem really was too much and I was uncomfortable. I would have probably said something to my mother. Oh, really? Oh, I would never have said anything to my parents ever. If if a male teacher read that poem to my class, I would have, yeah, I would have been. Yeah. Yeah. And it's full of of 17 year old rage. Yeah. And also like it's, it's, um, it's a homoerotic poem. So also the, 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 I don't know. It's just, it's just very difficult situation. There's not a good answer. Um, and I am I'm I'm sad for the kids that felt uncomfortable, and I'm sad the teacher resigned. I, I'm not yeah. happy about this any way around. I'm just sad. I feel like just like a statement of yeah, that was not like a great choice on my part. It should have been enough. Yeah, Maybe? I don't know. People, I, guess it I don't know, on the, man. The contents of the complaint. I mean, you exactly. and I both know, like, if what if it was a couple of young if if the students who complained were a couple of young women, that changes the dynamic considerably. It really does. Right? Yeah, I mean, it, it, rightly it, or complaint, wrongly, to be fair, like. The the young men should be able to say I was sexually uncomfortable in this situation too. Totally, but it does change the politics of it uh, if, if it's young women. If the complaint was just "ugh, we read a gay thing," you know, right? Then whatever. Yeah, I have less sympathy for that. <laughs> Shush for sure. your face, but like, yeah, but when it comes to kids, just like being completely uncomfortable with this sexual experience with an adult. And I feel like this is like having somebody read you this poem is a bit of a sexual experience. Yes. Yeah. It's yeah. just uh, not okay. <laughs> All right. Let's get, let's get the heck out of here. Talk All about right. a we gotta, I need to, I need to pull the ripcord on that. Um, where random house audio is back. Try audiobooks.com. So, it's, you know, the, the ad for this has a little Volkswagen Beetle with uh, <laughs> luggage strapped to the top. So, it's road trip season. The great road trip season. Mm-hmm. Um, so while you're doing your hobbies or you're on a road trip, the great thing about audiobooks is they're great for multitasking. So multitasking when you don't really, you know, you don't have to be thinking too hard about what you're doing. Getting things done, going somewhere, and reading a book at the same time, what can be better about that? At Liberty uh, Hardy, who hosts our All the Book show, uh, was on Reading Lives last week. And she said she wasn't into audio. She's not into audiobooks, which... Because she reads, I mean, one thing about audiobooks is a little bit slower than reading in print, especially if you read yes. like she does, which is seven or eight books a week. Um, and she's like, I read so much, I don't really have a, a place for audiobooks. But I said, you know, she volunteers a local library shelving. Like, you could listen to audiobooks while you're shelving. And she was like, oh. oh. <laughs> Whole so, new world So even, even the great Liberty Hardy has more reading time in her life if you add audiobooks to it. That's the point that we're trying to make here with tryaudiobooks.com. So they have, they have a titles for every kind of a reader. Um, so one thing you can think about is if you're cooking or gardening, they've got things for that. If you're driving, exercising, crafting, or traveling from the girl on the train to Star Wars books, to a lucky life interrupted, there's all these kinds of things that you can find out. So there's, there's, they've got some stuff going on that you might be interested in looking at. Um, they've got some giveaways in June. They're doing crafting giveaways. Uh, so you go to, uh, go try audiobooks.com. You can see about the giveaways, uh, related to that. And they've just all kinds of books that you can try out here. And I, I, I think that, um, a friend of ours was in town and she's a big audiobook listener and she does it while she was gardening. 
Okay. She actually did. She actually says, I love to listen to audiobooks while gardening finds it very relaxing. Um, I live in Brooklyn, New York in a little apartment, so I don't do a whole lot of gardening. Um, but I can imagine that would be fun to do. Have, do you have ever done like a group audiobook listen, like with a friend or Jeremiah or anybody in your in your life? Like listen to an audiobook in a car or anything like that? I have on road trips, yeah. Yeah, you have? I never really have done that. Do you like, is it fun? Do you like that? I do. It takes a... Um a particular kind of audiobook, I think, no. to keep more than one person entertained on a, on a road trip. But it's actually like the easiest way for me to stay awake while driving for long periods oh, of time. Oh, excellent point. Yeah, is to get an audiobook with a really gripping plot. Yeah, get a real uh, a page turner. Page the, the metaphor turner? is yeah. falling <laughs> apart a little bit here. But a plot-driven book, I can see how that works. Like, if I was listening to uh, The Da Vinci Code for the first time, I could have driven all night like a trucker on meth. I would have Yes, or like, the, I think I, The Martian. Yes. Like, it's so good. Anything oh, did you like see that. the trailer, by the way, yes, for The Martian? Yes, I did, yeah. Uh, the, the Martian, which is an excellent audiobook, is a Random House audiobook. That would be a good one. So that, that's a, maybe that's our pick. You got a long distance, and you're doing some night driving. Pick up The Martian. And uh, you will be on the edge of your seat. I don't know. I don't know if it's safe to drive on the edge of your seat. Probably not. Yeah, you buckle in. You'll be safe. <laughs> um, but uh, go to tryoutbooks.com and get started listening. Find some wrecks and enjoy your your uh, listening while you travel this summer. Okay, what are we? Where are we? Where are we going next? Oh, happy things. Ferguson. So the Ferguson Municipal Public Library over in St. Louis um, was named the. Library of the Year in the United States. Yeah. I did, what do they get? Do we know? Good job. Uh, mm, I don't know Props. what they get, actually. Yeah, Props. probably. I mean, Props. it's the library journal. Yeah, um, school library journal. Uh, name them for, for staying open, for being a resource, uh, staying open during the uh, protests, riots, unrest. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure what language you've settled on what happened in Ferguson after Michael Brown. I think unrest is Unrest good, is... Yeah. is Relatively politically, you know, judgment neutral. Um, created healing kids. Uh, each backpack, uh, a backpack with a library logo on it. Books and worksheets about coping. Source material for civil rights history. A list of resources for adults to get freer and expensive mental health information. And of course, a teddy bear. Something of their own that they could hold on to while the world around them was really in, in uh, a state of of genuine flux. And it wasn't clear on any given day. Um, what might the next day might hold. Uh, patrons could check the whole thing out and later return the backpack and the books, but keep the teddy bear and the worksheets. Um, the Ferguson offered special outreach. I'm reading here uh, in mm-hmm. case you were wondering. Special outreach to adults through volunteer social workers and community engagement opportunities. All were offered three free through the public, through social media and at the library. Um, they also had an exhibit entitled Hands Up, Don't Shoot. The show was organized by the Alliance of Black Art Galleries to give local artists a chance to respond to Brown's killing. It opened October 17, 2014 and ran through December. Um, also created a, ho- a hosted scores of programs specifically to help Ferguson's local businesses recover. The U.S. Small Business Administration was invited to set up at the library to provide emergency loans after Governor Nixon declared the area to be in a state of economic emer- I mean, I could go on. I could read this. Yeah. I could read this whole thing verbatim. I highly recommend, um, a, as always, the links to the, the stories we talk about in the show notes. It's really worth looking at. And it's an unbelievable job by Ferguson, unbelievable job by this particular library and these librarians. Also a reminder of what libraries do. Um, you know, I, it was so refreshing, like like faith in humanity restored moment when yeah. it got out on social media that the library was staying open through all of the protests and people just started pouring in yeah. donations. Ashley like six Ford, figures. I think, if I remember right, sort of mm-hmm. got the ball rolling on social media to say, you know, mum, numbers here can donate money. They set up a page, made it real easy. Six figures plus yeah. came in from the public at large. You know, it's. I'm glad the library performed the service, but what a burden to put on librarians to yeah. small business and mental health and uh, just just so many different kinds of thing that falls to the librarians to do, and they do it with um, dedication and uh, oftentimes underfunded and understaffed, but um, a deserving win. And I, I'm sure there are other libraries doing great things out there, but um, in my in my experience, and again, I've been pay, been paying attention to this, but for a couple of years. One of the more remarkable library stories I've seen is what happened to Ferguson um, around the Michael Brown killing. So congratulations um, to them. Indeed. An inspiring story. Um, not inspiring story. <laughs> Lying. I like your notes about this. Lying liar <laughs> lies about Upper East Side. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, okay. So here's the, here's the story. Um, this book came out, uh, I guess, recently. I don't remember exactly. I, I, yeah. It's a new uh, 
called Primates of Park Avenue, an expose of the moneyed quote-unquote mommies, which screw that subtitle. (laughs) Um, And it got it in New York especially became a big deal because like, I think we still have, and I don't know where it comes from exactly, maybe the Nanny Diaries or Sex in the City or what, this image of Upper East Side New York Manhattan life as being, I don't know, an alien culture. Lots mm-hmm. of money, lots of privilege, lots of attitudes about child rearing that we find fascinating. I'll use a general, sort of a, a neutral term there. And this um, Wednesday Martin was her name, which is hard to believe that's true. It's not her name. Is Wendy. Oh, her real first name is Wendy. Already, yeah. already yeah. bending the truth a little bit. Wrote this memoir, quote unquote, uh, about being a mom on the Upper East Side. And she said she lived there for six years with two kids. Well, it turns out she only lived there three years with one kid. Um, mentioned stores and services that didn't exist, which then calls into question, as this article pointed out, like what else was fabricated? Which else yeah. was bent? Um, Eyebrow raising anecdotes, such as a claim that some women received yearly wife bonuses uh, for certain things from their uh, their 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 significant other. Um, she said she telescoped certain parts of the narrative in order to protect the privacy of friends, neighbors, associates, and family. It's a, one that, you know, other than being sort of a juicy story, it's hard to remember sometimes that nonfiction is not fact checked largely. Yeah, that's odd to me. I don't know that people <laughs> Every time will know a that. new story like this comes out, I'm reminded of that. Yeah. And it's always like, really? That's, you know, a like long a article in the New Yorker or a, time, a New York Times story, not always, but usually is relatively rigorously fact checked in a way that long nonfiction books aren't. Mm-hmm. Um, which I don't know if that's something to keep in mind, especially as we turn to something like we were talking about. You know, we Rebecca's been talking about on the show, but also has been talked about in the book Riot Back Channel is the Missoula book by um, yes. John Krakauer, which. For, as, as my understanding, I think it's like most long-form uh, nonfiction that's printed as books, not fact-checked fact by an outside party. Maybe this one was. Maybe there was some other additional fact-checking going on. But even things like, you know, I really like this Becoming Steve Jobs book. There was a biography of Steve Jobs. I don't think they had outside fact-checking on it. It was largely the reporting of the people writing the book. Um, so that's just – I think this is a reminder to keep it in mind. But also that – I don't why why do you think she did this? Does her story change that much if it's three years and one kid? I don't know. Um What do you think is going on with this? I don't know. I find the whole concept of this book to be so deeply insulting. Yeah. That, uh like I have a hard time getting past that. So the woman has the author has a PhD. Apparently. Oh, I guess we believe that now. I guess. Yeah. I don't right a question mark. Uh-huh. Um and it's supposed to be an anthropological study based in primatology of wealthy women in a neighborhood. And like just the, the like the primatology thing just is so bothersome to me. And like rich privileged white women of the Upper East Side, I'm sure have their weird social things going on, but just to like compare them to apes, whatever. Anyway, um, so it's already so fantastical and weird that right. maybe she just snubbed some details to make it even more so, like to make to make them seem even stranger as people than they might actually be in real life. I guess this is. I mean, maybe she's she's trying to give us what she thinks we, we want. quote yeah. unquote want, which is mm-hmm. their psychotic, uh, detached, money grubbing uh, status automatons. Right. right. That and then so everything look there's this one story where she said her interview for the co op board, she was pregnant, she had to wear pearls and be propped up her own bed because she couldn't walk, mm-hmm. though like the property records show she wasn't even pregnant at the time they bought the apartment. Like Yeah. So she was there, but it then became sort of this carnival mirror representation. And so now you can't believe anything, right? I mean that's the thing about trust in situations situations like this, is like once there's a crack in the you know, the believability, then everything just becomes a joke. Especially when you're trying to present something as a, like a serious anthropological yeah. question. Like, right. Really? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, this is, I mean, you're this, making stuff up to make it look like these women are in an episode of Frasier. Right. And, and, and what, uh, what social group doesn't have its own weirdness? Like yeah. what social group, if you went into it as an outsider and wrote a book about whatever, wouldn't seem bizarre if your value mm-hmm. system is different. So I, yeah, I don't, I, I agree. I don't like the, I don't like, even if it was true, I don't like the, 
that the angle, right? Yeah, I don't like <laughs> right? the tone. I don't Treating like people as animals and like they're so weird and different that it's it's strange. Like even the book cover is like this some this this cut out of a woman wearing leopard print to make it look more animalistic. Uh, anyway, I, I, bad job. I mean, just yeah, terrible. I just, I just don't like it. But it is weird that it doesn't get fact checked. Like some of these things wouldn't have been hard to check. Like how many kids you have. Yeah. <laughs> Like, How long you lived in a like, place? Like, that's not going back and re- reconstructing, like, extensive interview records. That's just, like, how many kids do you have? How many know. kids? You, so could you just tell me? Like, how right long now, did you live there? How many kids do you have? Yeah. yeah. yeah you would so. think that would have been in the proposal. Like, so I lived in New York for how long? You know, right, right, so I have right. all of this information. I don't know. Like, not even... Yeah, so it's not like it's not like Woodward and Bernstein levels of fact-checking. This is just maybe even a cursory glance at, like, the reality of her life. Um, I wonder if it was because that, like, well, I guess not. If 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 nonfiction in general isn't fact checked, I was just thinking, like, if she did some quote unquote anthropological study about people who weren't wealthy and white, mm. would it have been people would have been like all over her fact checking? You know, um, I don't know maybe. because of like the other. Maybe she's talking about the other. I don't know. I don't know. But it feels just like well, they're just it's white people. Lazy. We certainly we certainly authorize in a way this kind of cultural voyeurism of rich people. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's it's, it's definitely it's definitely there. Um, all right, let's. We're running out of time. Jeez, we. Well, we're gonna have to save this other study about parents reading for another time. Okay. Uh, quick note that, that not much to say here, but two new. Poet laureates in the United States were named over the last couple of weeks. Jackie Woodson was named the Young People's Poet Laureate. Um, and let's see, I want to make sure. Juan Felipe Herrera was named the U.S. Poet Laureate, making him the first, um, uh, is it the first Hispanic or first Mexican-American? Latino. Latino, first Latino, um, to be to hold that honor. Yeah. Um, and it doesn't really come with anything. Like, it, it's not a formal position. He's not teaching. I don't even think there's a stipend. Like, you get access to the Library of Congress, and it says, like, a pulpit. You know, like people listen, mm-hmm. and you you have you have. I'm you sure can, your sales go up a little I'm bit. I'm sure, yeah. Um, he was recently um, uh, the, a teacher at the University of Washington. Um, yeah, it's really. And I read a little bit of the poetry; really interesting stuff um, from him. Um, he says, "As many manifesto of sorts in the role of writer or teacher these days, I think it's good to be in society um, to wake yourself up in the throng and mix of people on sidewalks, subways, and cafeterias." So teaching writing keeps me at the root of things, new voices, new experiences, new ways of meditating on life and the planet. Um, poetry can tell us about what's going on in our lives, not only our personal, but our social and political lives. Very, you know, he's a politically aware person. Um, yeah, interesting. And Jackie Woodson, hot on the heels of um, Brown Girl Dreaming, um, becomes the U.S. Poet Laureate, which is largely a, sim- a similar, it's a ceremonial, but also a pulpit kind of position where um, you get to talk to kids and you have some resources to go out and say some things, get kids interested. But interesting picks. I wonder if this is the first time that both positions have been held by non-white people at the same time. I would imagine. I would imagine. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So that's interesting. Okay, we're we're wrapping up the show. Normally it's now time for new books, but Shinsky isn't here. She doesn't usually do this. And I'm going to use the chance to say, go listen to the All the Books show. Uh, Seriously, if you haven't, if you like this show at all, you should go listen to Liberty Hardy and Rebecca Shinsky's new weekly podcast. Um, it's about 30 minutes long, and they're talking about the new books they're excited about, and they talk about you know a bunch of other books that get released in a given week. So the segment of the show it kind of sprung out of this, this back half, or, well, the last 10 minutes of the show we usually give to new books. People really like that. We realized we could make that into its own show, and it's been it's gone gangbusters. People love it. It's probably our most positively reviewed show. The, the velocity of posi- <laughs> the, the velocity of positivity coming from listeners to that show has been uh, really surprising and, and so great and well deserved for them. It's a really fun show to listen to. I've heard especially I've liked um, a lot of things I've heard about. It especially that I mean, all plaudits are, are fun. But the one I, I think they should be especially proud of is like librarians and booksellers really love it. Mm-hmm. Um, just as a part of like professional development uh, in the weekly, because no one reads like Liberty. I, I don't know anyone that reads like Liberty. No, um, and, and and Shinsky's no slouch in her own right. Um, and they pay attention to what's coming out. Like Liberty lives in Edelweiss and Net Galley. Like she's always the first one. If there's like a new galley, she's like puts in our Slack channel. Like alert, alert! The new yep. what was it today? There's Winterson. Some, oh yeah, the new Winterson. Jeanette Winterson came out or uh, was available, and she's like. I think she must have some sort of like, I'm, I just want to imagine like her having like all these monitors with the catalogs of all the publishers <laughs> and they like update in real time and like a little siren goes off. It's when like in new... the Matrix. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like in the, yeah, she just sees the code of Edelweiss. She just looks at the HTML source. <laughs> 
source code that the UI gets in the way of her being fast. Um, so I'm going to kick you over to All the Books podcast. You can find a link in the show notes here. You can search in iTunes under All the Books. Um, you can go to bookwrite.com slash all the books and listen to it there. That's our show this week. Woohoo! Thank you for being on the show, Amanda. You can no find problem. her at I'm Amanda Nelson. I am uh, Amanda and Nelson. Spelled like the way you'd expect. Um, mm-hmm. I'm at the Jeff O'Neill, O-P-N-E-A-L. You can find show notes for this sh- episode of the Book Riot Podcast at uh, bookriot.com slash podcast. You can email us with uh, questions, concerns. If you know things about things we've asked about, uh, especially about if you've got some recommendations you'd like to get queued up while you're thinking of them, start storing those away. We're going to build a nice little like uh, hibernating squirrel nut tree of recommendations for Amanda. <laughs> you know, like you can start squirreling away. Like you get a, okay, you get a nice yes. library of, uh, not that you're a squirrel, this is a metaphor. Uh, and uh, it's for her new recommendation show coming in September. Thank you so much to Scribd. Thank you so much to Random House Audiobooks. And thank you so much to our last sponsor, Squarespace. Do you see how I did that right there? That was good. Our well last done. sponsor, Squarespace. Squarespace makes it easy to build a beautiful all-in-one website. If you want to sell something, built-in commerce. You want to do beautiful photo galleries, built-in. No extra charge for this stuff. You go to book. We've had people tell us, and show us some of their websites, and they look absolutely beautiful. You and I both used Blogspot back in the day. If I think I know, if I would have had Squarespace as a resource, I would have been all over Squarespace. Um, it's a low. You, you pay for it, but you get something out of it too. I, I think that's the thing that's 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 sometimes hard to remember. That free feels like oh, I just can get this free website, but you then get things if you pay for things. Simple, powerful, beautiful, 24-7 live chat and email support for only $8 a month. And you get a free domain name if you buy Squarespace for the year. Responsive designs, your website looks great on any device. Um, Go to squarespace.com, enter offer code RIOT at checkout to get 10% off. Thank you so much to Squarespace for continued support of the Book Riot podcast. Summertime, people out of school, teachers, students might want to try, you know, a little web project of some kind. And I think if you're going to put this is this is what I think if you're going to put effort into it, your time is certainly worth the time. The, your, the time you're going to save with Squarespace to make it look beautiful and responsive is worth your money. I just I mean that's the way it works. So as always, thank you guys so much for listening to the show. And uh, Amanda, we'll talk to you soon. All right. <laughs>